Well, God calls us out of our sin and wandering. He calls us out of our, our work to come and to find our rest in him. So before we uh, begin, let's just take a moment to prepare our hearts for worship. Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 136. Will you please stand and we'll sing it together. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his steadfast love endures thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowly estate, for his steadfast lure, love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast lure, love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever.
Let's pray together. Almighty God, King of kings, faithful and true, Lord, in your grace, you've given us minds to know you, hearts to love you, voices to sing your praise. So God, fill us with your spirit that we may celebrate your glory and worship Christ in spirit and in truth. Lord, make us aware of your presence this morning. Father, meet those of us who feel full and vibrant. May we persist in the strength that you provide. And may you, Lord, use our resources, our gifts, even our weaknesses to participate in your kingdom work. Father, we pray you would also meet those of us who may be uh, wrestling, wrestling with questions of faith. Meet those of us who are troubled, troubled with, with grief and sadness. Meet those of us who endure the, the ways our relationships are shaken in need of repair and restoration. Meet those of us who are worn down, who are lonely and filled with worry. Father, meet us in these full places and in these difficult spaces with your strength with your love and tenderness, with your words of invitation, calling us home to find our rest in you. God, we know you are the Lord, the true king who is reigning, who is praying for all of us right now. May we receive and believe your grace and be changed by it. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. It's uh, kindergarten through fourth grade. Well, we turn now to our time of confession and time of assurance, time where we can acknowledge with God our sin and our need of his mercy. And so we'll do this together as, as a church and then have a time of quiet personal confession. The psalmist prays, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. When we are faced with our, with our own doubts, insecurities and sorrows, Instead of trying furiously to control our circumstances, help us to say, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple.
please take a moment of quiet personal confession. God, we confess our sin, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, you've made us alive together with Christ, and that by your grace, you saved us and shown us the immeasurable riches of your grace and your kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We give thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand together to hear the words of assurance that come to us from Psalm 62. Please join with me. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. As we've been welcomed into God's family, let's also welcome each other in the name of Christ.
please be seated. The Old Testament lesson is from Exodus 24, verses 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The New Testament lesson is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the last trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Gina, thanks so much for reading for us from God's Word. I am not just happy to be here, I'm excited <laughs> to open God's Word with you this morning. And when Chad asked me if I wouldn't mind to preach on this passage, I said a quick, a very quick yes. So as you know, during the season of Epiphany, we have been looking at passages from the Gospel of Matthew and asking questions of identity. Who is this Jesus? Why has he come? And what might be the relationship between 
his identity and the identity that he gives to us by grace through faith. So today is our last installment in this series, and I want to jump right in. So let me read for us our sermon text. They are printed in your bulletin. You can follow along in your Bible if you'd like. Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is God's word given for our good. Now, if you heard last week's sermon, you'll no doubt notice that our passage for today is a good bit further on in Matthew's gospel. So I want to offer a bit of context. The passage that we're looking at today is often placed in the preaching calendar right at the end of Epiphany. And I think it's because Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration are kind of two helpful bookends to think about the first half of the story where Jesus' identity is being unveiled. Interestingly, the transfiguration will be the last moment where Jesus charges his disciples to not say anything about what they've seen. So it's kind of a pivot point in the story. But maybe more importantly, the immediate context of this passage, what's just happened, is a really poignant and intense scene between Jesus and his disciples. In chapter 16, Jesus poses a fateful question to them. He says, who do people say that I am? It was a tough one. And it's followed by an even more (laughs) probing question. Who do you say that I am? We can recall that Peter earnestly replies, the Christ, the son of the living God. But Peter's praiseworthy confession is soon met with a stinging rebuke because as Jesus unpacks what it means to be God's Messiah and his inevitable suffering and death and resurrection, Peter tries to take him aside and disabuse him of this plan. He actually tells Jesus, God forbid that this would happen to you. It seems that's not the messianic plan that the disciples had in mind. And for this, Jesus rebukes him with the even more famous words, get behind me, Satan. 
I think the intensity of this moment demonstrates how high the stakes are for everybody involved. So it's in the midst of this pivotal moment that Jesus decides to take his closest three disciples away to a nearby mountain. So that's the background. But what I want to do today is look at two questions. Number one, what does this moment of transfiguration tell us about Jesus' identity? What does it tell us about his identity? And two, what does it mean or what do we do with it? Now, I don't think these two questions will satisfy all of our curiosities about this passage, but I hope they'll be a start. So question one, what does this moment tell us about Jesus' identity? Well, as Chad explored last week, Jesus' teaching opens a window for us on another world, another perspective of how life could be. But here, with the transfiguration, we're being shown that Jesus himself is from another world. I like the way, the rather blunt way that the historian Paul Johnson talks about it. Quote, Jesus was a man, but not only a man. He was also God, son of the father. He was living outside time and space and upon earth. His ministry was taking place not only in this world, but also in the next. Now, to absorb a claim like that, it's worth slowing down and paying careful attention, taking stock of what Matthew actually shares with us here. In particular, I want to look at what is seen, who is there, and what is heard. But first, a quick word about the chosen location of this event. In verse 1, it says that Jesus led his potential witnesses to a high mountain. And if you've noticed the frequency of references to mountains, you're picking up on something really important. Jesus intentionally chooses this location because of its theological significance. Mountains are important for the people of God. Mountains are symbolically important because since the time of their ancestors, folks like Abraham and Moses, mountains have been a meeting place for God and his people. In fact, through the details of what Matthew records and even the words he chooses to describe the event, Matthew is inviting us to connect what's happening here with what Gina just read for us from Exodus 24. The biggest the busy example of that is like in Exodus, the divine presence descends on the mountain in the form of thick clouds. But what's astounding <laughs> in this passage are the ways in which this moment is totally different than anything that's happened before. And those differences can be seen in what Matthew tells us about what the disciples see, who is there with them, and what they hear. Look at verse 2. It says, He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, whereas Moses' face shone because it was reflecting the fact that he had met with God, here, Jesus' glory comes from his own person. He is the source of it. 
His radiance is his own. It comes from within him. He is actually changed in the story before the cloud ever descends. Verse 3 says, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, whereas Moses gets a, up on the mountain, he gets a big installment of God's plan. Here, Jesus is the last and glorious piece of the puzzle. So the appearance of these two Old Testament visitors would have been an immediate symbolic thing for the disciples. They would, the effect would be immediate. They would recognize that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. In essence, both the law and the prophets are here to attest to the superiority of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, who could argue with him now, right? He's got the endorsement of Moses and Elijah. Verse 5 continues, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, whereas Moses was alone on the mountain to hear the word of the Lord, here Jesus has his own witnesses to hear the Father's affirmation. Think about that bookend, that first bookend of his baptism. It's not clear in the passage if everybody heard the words of the Father. But here, Matthew makes it very clear. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. Now what's behind all that? Long ago, Moses had told the people in Deuteronomy that there would come a great prophet, a prophet greater than he. So when the Father says, listen to him, Jesus is being identified with that last great prophet. So taking all these things together, Peter's confession from chapter 16 is confirmed. And it's confirmed in a way that Peter, James, and John would find eminently convincing. God is speaking a language to them that they would completely understand, sending a message specifically for them. Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now there's no disputing that. I don't really see Jesus, I don't really see Peter trying to correct Jesus after this point, right? Now, some of you know that um, back in the fall, Anna and I had the opportunity to kind of take a last-minute trip to Rome. Thankfully, it was not Rome, Georgia. It was Rome, Italy. <laughs> okay. Uh, we were surprised and excited to go, and we had a, we had a good time. I uh, got to see some things, and inevitably, when we got back, you know, people were saying, oh, Rome, they said, okay, what about Florence? Did you go to Florence? And we're like, well, it's just Rome, not Florence. And it just kept coming up, Florence, Florence, Florence. It's like, so I just want to take this opportunity to set the record straight. We have every intention of getting to Florence, okay? And when we get to Florence, I want to go to the Dominican Priory of San Marco to see those amazing frescoes by Fra Angelico. You know, 
Chad asked me to preach on the transfiguration. I'm trying to keep my art historical references to, you know, just one. So here's it. Here it is. As you can probably imagine, there's lots of depictions, visual depictions of the transfiguration, but Frau Angelico got something brilliantly right. Now, I've got a picture if you want to come and see it afterwards, but there's some really curious details, but there's something subtle and so brilliant because what Fra Angelico does in this fresco is he depicts Jesus with his arms outstretched as if he's already on the cross. And like the New Testament, the artist is emphasizing that the glory of Jesus is found at the cross. The disciples are still struggling with that one. But this transfigured and glorious one, this is the one who has come to die. And reading this passage, now we know, like his disciples came to learn, that he possesses the power to unveil a beauty and a glory that makes people shield their eyes from him. And that one has chosen to demonstrate the glory of his love in taking our place under the sentence of death. So question number two, what do we do with this episode? Thankfully, Jesus provides his own interpretation here. Jesus interprets it for us. Verse seven, rise and have no fear. It's at this point that I worry that our limited imaginations may struggle to perceive the enormity of these four words of Jesus. The disciples, just as with everybody else in the story of Scripture that comes in contact with the divine glory, are understandably frightened and feeling desperate. And we get that. But what is unbelievable to them and likely to us too is the fact that the glorified one would be unquestionably for us. He says, rise and have no fear. The glorious son, affirmed by the words of the father, commended by the law and the prophets, has been entrusted with power and honor and glory to judge the world and he chooses to make friends, to welcome and uplift, to restore and empower. Rise and have no fear. It's this combination of glory and mercy that just doesn't add up for us. It seems too good to be true. It, it can still surprise even those of us that have, were, that have encountered it a long time ago. And I honestly think we're just beginning to kind of feel and fumble around the edges of God's immeasurable kindness toward us. But not only do we have Jesus' interpretation, but the two, two of the witnesses that were there with him. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths whom we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And John writes in 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we, will, we shall see him as he is. So question number two, what does it mean? Well, if we follow the words of those who were there, it means simply this, that we can trust that his message comes from God. We can trust that his power can change even us. And we can trust that he is unreservedly for us. Rise and have no fear. But there's one curiosity <laughs> that I just have to acknowledge here at the end. Why such a small set of witnesses? In the aftermath of this overwhelming sight, Peter, James, and John might have wondered why they alone were privileged to see it. <laughs> they, they might be thinking, why not reveal such glory to the crowds? Or more importantly, the religious authorities, the enemies of Jesus. Surely they'd be convinced finally, and, 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 and they would choose to follow him now. Well, unfortunately, that, that's the same logic that the tempter used to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus made it glorious, yet so intimate and personal. And I wonder, isn't it the same for us? Even today, how do we witness the transformation of one another? Mostly, I'd say we see one another changed in the context of relationships. That is the consistent, long-suffering and expectant commitment of things like friendships or marriages or parenting. It doesn't happen in a single astounding moment. We'd like that. Of course, it happens slowly and slowly over years and years. But it's in these places of slow and careful watching that we get to see the unfolding transformation of our friends and loved ones. C.S. Lewis has a tremendous passage in an essay called The Weight of Glory in which he takes an unexpected perspective on our future. Listen to him. He writes, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now 
you would strongly be tempted to worship. He continues, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Indeed, there are no ordinary people. So let's treasure these small victories, these these little moments of renewal, the quiet revolutions of virtue. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we shall be like him. We're on our way. We're on our way. We're on our way. So let's be patient with the journey. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and the light that it gives to our lives. Let us hear your own call today. Rise and have no fear. We are feeble and afraid, but we long to behold your glory and see you with unveiled face. Enable us now to trust you that you are even now preparing us for it and transforming us from one degree of glory to another. We honor and worship you through Jesus Christ, our glorious Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us? We'll sing together.
Lord our God, you raised up Christ to rule over all creation, giving him the name which is above all other names. It is good and right for us to join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. this table that Christ sets for us, that he invites us to this morning, it, it brings into, that, into view again that question of who is Jesus? What, um, how are we to, to know him to be? Well, Taylor, uh, he invited us to see sort of the, the Jesus in all his glory, all his wonder, the powerful Jesus meeting the, the merciful and the loving Jesus. And it, and, it, and it points us again to this table, and this table reminds us, and it, it provokes that question once again, who is this Jesus? And it's a scene that invites us into the intimacy of, of, of a meal, of supper, together with Jesus in the midst of that. And I think it's important for us even just to, to bring into view, to, to be in that room again. Who are the people in those rooms? People from all walks of life, tax collectors and, and uh, zealots and, and fishermen, right? Everyday people, friends of Jesus, people that he walked with for years who knew him intimately. And yet they are also men, men who were deniers and, and, uh, and leavers and fools. And so I think it's a really poignant scene when the glory of Jesus, it comes very intimately into the view in front of us, in front of the disciples in that room, where we see the ways in which Jesus offers himself again. He offers to be the atoning sacrifice for you and for me, to bear the weight and the burden and the consequence of our sin on our behalf, and not only just this, to feed us once again with his life, with his glory, <laughs> with his beauty. And so if you believe that, if we have in faith received Christ, let's then come and eat, be filled, be nourished in your faith. Father, thank you for this table. We pray that you would set it apart from a common use to a sacred and holy one that you would come and by your spirit you would meet us and nourish us in our faith this, through this bread and wine. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the, is the, is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me.
For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I uh, invite you to come down the center aisle to receive both the bread and the wine. Uh, you may return over to on the sides. Uh, I ask you that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served that we can eat and drink as one family. Um, if you are not coming to receive the elements this morning, we do invite you to come down as well, just to put your arm across your chest and myself uh, uh, or, or, uh, uh, or the other uh, servers who offer you a blessing. I invite the, uh, the servers now to come forward to, to receive the elements that we can pass them out.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole on a seat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Well, having come to the table, let's stand together in our responsive song and confession. With thankfulness, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. join together for our confession from Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. You may be seated. While we continue our worship through the giving of our gifts and offerings to God, um, as the servers do come down uh, the aisles here, uh, just a few announcements for us, a few reminders. If you're new with us this morning, we just want to welcome you. Glad you've joined us here this morning. Um, there, if you'd like more information about our church, uh, we, we have connect cards in the back. You're welcome to fill that out. Or uh, even in your order of worship, there should be a QR code. You can link into that, and it'll take you to some information about signing up for our weekly email to get information about uh, our discipleship groups, life groups, things and events in the life of our church. So welcome. Um, also, please just stay after the service. We'll have a time of fellowship, a time where we'll have coffee and bagels. Um, that'll be over uh, in the cafeteria, which is if you go straight out the, the, the back door here, Take a left, you'll go, and if you go straight, you'll run right into that, the cafeteria. Um, it'd be great to have you and, and get, to, get to know you more. Uh, also, just a reminder to, to sign up for our, uh, our day of service that's coming up. Uh, there is sign up in the back. Uh, please check that out. It'd be great to have you join us for that. And then also there are um, some dinners coming up. Um, there's a number of them laid out in, also in the back on the information table and in the weekly email, uh, give you some dates and times for those. And it's just a great way to, to spend time together, to get to know one, know one another better over a meal and uh, to connect. So, well, we give thanks for God's many, um, for his, his many, many generosities. And so as we finish up here, let's stand together for our doxology. God from whom all blessings 
now God's blessing. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.